Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy. The two two. Or now that's one the deep left field. See ya later. Knights walk off the gators. Eight to six on a two-run homer by Carissa Ornelas. It's great to be a night tonight here in Orlando. Wow, Eric Lopez. Wow, indeed, my friends. Welcome, everybody. That is what you call a dramatic. You haven't event. slept. No, literally, I haven't slept. We, uh, I f- helped you uh, write an article. I rewatched the game. I watched the baseball game, and I read Brian Murphy's article on the baseball game all overnight. Awesome, awesome. I, so, how about that? UCF softball getting the walk-off victory against uh, against the Florida Gators here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We'll talk about that. We'll also talk about baseball, totally not winning in dramatic fashion. Um, <laughs> Brian Murphy is here for that. Oh, my God, that was bizarre. It was great. It was baseball, baby. It's it such so walk-off good. Wednesday, huh? It's walk-off Wednesday. Um, oh, so we've got that. Um, spring practice is in full swing. We'll also catch you up on uh, volleyball's last weekend. of uh, Regular season play is coming up. Um, just lots to talk about here on the uh, podcast. Remember, you can always follow us at UCF underscore banneret, facebook.com slash black and gold banneret, and of course, black and gold banneret.com, where you would get our uh, recap of UCF softball, number 24 in the country. That's probably going to change next week. They beat the number five ranked Florida Gators at home in a thriller, eight to six, uh, capped off by. The walk-off homer that you just heard from Carissa Ornelas, a two-run shot with one out that uh, gave UCF the victory. They were down 5-1 to one in the third, came back to tie. They were down 6-5 to five in the bottom of the seventh, tied it on a double, and then won it. Eric, you did the game for ESPN+. Plus. Holy smokes, what a game. Uh, yeah, that's an understatement. That's one way of putting it. I mean, we could put a lot of expletives in there, but it is a family show. So good we'll thing, good thing you didn't, because you were on the air. <laughs> oh yeah, trust me, it wasn't easy. Um, look, it was an amazing game. I mean, amazing event, amazing sporting event. I mean, if 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 I that's a game that I could share to a, a lot of people, and they'll convert them to being a softball fan. That's the, the that game had a little bit of everything. And it showed, I think, a lot about why this Knights team is different than past Knights teams. I brought it up on the broadcast. Past Knights teams, as good as they were, weren't built to come back from a 5-1 deficit against a Florida pitching staff that, by the way, came into the game with a 1 ERA, which was 6 in the country. Mm -hmm. And UCF just put up 8 runs on them. 
scored the most runs against uh, a, a, against Florida this year. And this team has no quit. They have they can score in many different ways. They can small ball, but power game. And it's kind of ironic, Jeffrey. It was the seventh hundredth win of the program's history, which I'll write about uh, as well on uh, later on here on Black and Gold Banner. But think about this. Stephanie Best was in attendance, the first ever recruit, the first ever UCF Athletic Hall of Famer. Steph was there? Yeah, she was in attendance. Awesome. Among many people, the UCF football team, uh, many members of them are there. Shout out to them because they were loud and rowdy. Um, I saw them jumping around in the crowd after the the game was over. That was pretty awesome. It was insane. And an insane atmosphere. And, and, you know, they raised the capacity to about 50% this week. And it's good timing. Um, (laughs) But... Yeah, Stephanie Best was in attendance, first recruit ever, first Hall of Fame ever, watching UCF hit three home runs, the number that she wore, one of them being a shortstop, Georgia Blair, who's probably the second greatest, could go down as the second greatest hitter in program history by the time her career is done, and watches them win it on a walk-off home run to win 700th win in a program history. You couldn't make, I don't think that would pass in Hollywood in, in a script like that. And it was just a, a game that just had a little bit of everything. I mean, these are two great teams, top 25 matchup, back and forth. It, it was a slugfest, and it had a little bit of everything. It had a, a, a first-ever softball shift. Murph, you would have loved that. <laughs> Tim Walton. Yeah. Got five infielders, two outfielders. They call it the Chronister Five because the, the lefty pitcher for Florida, Katie Chronister, comes in. That's what they go to is five mm-hmm. infielders and have the ball hit to the left side. Uh, so you have that advanced analytics. And uh, and even in the seventh inning, Knights down one, Shannon Doherty gets hit by a pitch. Jada Cody, the cleanup hitter, coming up to the plate. And as Sydney Ball Malone, Coach Bear, in the postgame admits, she thought about bunting Jada Cody, but and she usually bunts down one in the seventh. But she decided not to. Here's Coach Ball Malone's explanation. The only thing that if I could change anything was defensively that one big inning. Um, other than that, Aaliyah White, wow, what a game. You know, G got some good innings in there, too, and it, it's hard to get those those hitters out. And so um, that was huge. But the fight from our offense, you know, we've 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 battled. We, we've been hitting well, but we still battled um, the last couple of series just scoring runs. And I just love how they made adjustments. You know, they passed the bat. Um, some of their outs were super loud. And – just at the end, um, I'm going to tell you, I don't think I've ever played a game where in the seventh inning we're down by one and I don't punt. But um, I told I told our assistants and I told uh, Jada, I don't know that I'm going to bunt you because I did it in the other two innings and we didn't score from it. So I think we're just going to go for it. And she made me look uh, really smart. But, but um, no, she made, she made the risk well worth it. And then Carissa, they're coming through. Holy cow. Honestly, when Coach Bear came up to me, was talking to me, I knew, like, I got this. I was just thinking all our players are on my side, and I was just ready, just sack fly, just thinking to the outfield and have them go over. And, yeah. What went through your mind as that ball crossed the fence and you realized you just won the game? I didn't realize it until I was at second. I was like, oh, that's over. And then I was just excited to get home and celebrate with my team. What does this win mean? You got you had a big game of the weekend against South Carolina. You feel real confident at the play right now, don't you? Yes, I do. Just knowing, just looking for my pitch, and if it's outside, just keeping my butt in and going off of. 
just doing it for my team and the situation. Tell me about the Jada at-bat, because that was a huge at-bat. She kept fouling pitches after pitch pitch against Hightower and got that huge hit over the center fielder to tie the game up. But not only did she tie the game up, but you were able to see a lot of pitches as Mm -hmm. a result, right? Yes, just eroding the pitcher. That's what we always talk about. She did a great job and just finished it for the game. Tell me, about, tell me about Aaliyah coming in relief, coming in the bases loaded. And oh, yeah. Walked the one run, but she was fantastic. Gave us a chance to win the game. She becomes the first UCF pitcher ever to beat Florida <laughs> twice in a career. Tell me what you saw catching her and what she had tonight. I knew we had all the confidence in her. I knew she was in there for this situation, and she was just doing her game. And I was lucky to catch her for it. What was the mood in the dugout? You know, you're giving up that five runs in the third, but then Georgia Blair hits that two-run homer, and then Shannon follows up with the home run. Did, did that kind of light a fire there? You know, it seems like once that homer is like, okay, we know we know we're going to come back, and I sense that you were confident even when you're down five, knowing you would come back. Oh, yes. We knew five runs isn't going to shut out our team. We know we're big hitters, and we'll do anything to get on, and that's what we did. What does the last two games mean? You beat South Carolina on the road, scored 10 runs on them. You scored eight runs tonight on a team that was the number six team in the country in ERA, one of the best pitching staffs. This has got to give your offense as a whole and yourself a lot of confidence moving forward to conference play. Oh, yes. We know we're going to keep this confidence up, and we're just going to play our game and not worried about who's on the other side. That was Coach Ball Malone. And, of course, there uh, you also heard Carissa Ornelas, the hero. Of the game, but I want to bring in Brian Murphy on this because Brian Murphy has been an outspoken critic of bunting, <laughs> bunting in general, but especially bunting. He's not the only one, but he's a little bit more vocal than yours truly, Eric. Correct. When it comes to baseball and softball, but bunting, especially with hitters in the middle of the lineup and here in the bottom of the seventh, Coach Balmalone admits usually she bunts in that situation. She let Cody hit away. Cody hits the double to drive in the tying run to the plate. Two batters later, Ornelas hits the walk-off home run. Uh, Murph, this was a vindication for you. Yeah, and I wish teams would do this more often. It boggles my mind to hear her say that she's down when she's down a run in the seventh, she would do this. I mean, you're basically admitting you're going to give up one of your last three outs when you're already trailing. Uh, it just doesn't make it, it really does not make much sense. And I just, and, you know, I know that people will never agree on this and people see it different ways, but like when you bunt, especially with you know, when you bunt with the middle of your lineup, especially, you take away so many options of getting the runner over or possibly scoring that run, or maybe even better, hitting a home run. You know, with a great bunt, you can you can move a person in the scoring position, and maybe there's an error or the you know, where the batter gets on base, that's great. And and if they you know, but they can also pop it up. They can also you know have a bad bunt that goes back to a pitcher or something like that. So many more better things that can happen when you let kids swing away, and that that goes for every level of baseball too. And especially with, with with people like you know like Cody, who like we saw Eric can drive the ball to deep center. Like yeah. why don't you just let her try to do that instead? Thankfully, was, thankfully she did. Eric, do you think that Florida was expecting Cody to bunt? That's a great question. No, I mean, not in that sequence because Cody was at 2-2 count. She had been fouling pitches off, so the butt play was off at that oh, that's point. That's right. That's right. Yep. Good uh, point. So I, not in that scenario. I don't think they were, they were expecting the bunt uh, there, but she just kept fouling pitches off against the Hightower and hit, 
And then, you know, when Ornelas came to the plate, she kept fighting. And that was the thing. As Ornelas in my interview with there, and you can, by the way, watch my entire interview, obviously there with Carissa, but as well as obviously Coach Ball Malone's postgame and Jada Cody's postgame on our YouTube page on the Black and Go Banneret. But their philosophy is eroding pitching. And what it means by they mean by that is just erosion of their pitches. Just make them use mm-hmm. up a lot of pitches and wear them down. And that's what they did against this Florida pitching staff uh, throughout the night, making them work. Even though Florida threw a basically went by committee, I mean, they were getting hits against the shift. They made the adjustments. And then Aaliyah White, in relief of Gianna Mancha, picks up the win. The first mm-hmm. night pitcher ever to beat the Florida Gators twice in her career. Uh, I mean, that's a pretty good tall yeah. deal there. And it's just a memorable night, a huge win. Their second top five win of the season. They beat Arizona at home on March 8th. They were ranked second. They beat Florida here, was ranked fifth in the country. But I think this extra, obviously it's extra, uh, I think a little extra sweet because of who the opponent is in Florida, the way the game played out, dramatic fashion. Uh, I mean, this was the number three, Ornelas' home run is the number three play in Sports Center, top plays. I don't, when was the last time UCF had a top play that high in the rankings in Sports Center? Was it? No, it might have been Hughes. I, I don't know. It might have been, oh, no, it was probably JJ uh, Wharton. Words. No, no, Mike Hughes had to make top ten plays. Oh no, I made top ten, but I think I think Wharton probably had to have ranked higher. I think he was like the number one play for like a while because they were keep they were kept showing like the number one play overall. Maybe. So I, I think the, it I think it was Wharton was the only one that was higher. That's pretty good. So memorable game. Uh, I think it's the it's the greatest game I've ever softball game I've ever seen in person in fourteen years. And I'm not, I know that sounds very knee jerk reaction, but that game had everything like. It had everything that you wanted. It had offense, but it had some great defensive plays, had pitching. I mentioned there was a softball shift. We got advanced analytics shifts, Murph, in softball. I couldn't believe it. We're shifting. We're, yeah. All right, I so mean, let, let's, let's, let's zoom out for just a second, okay, because here's where the rubber meets the road for UCF. Conference play starts this weekend. It's, they're doing uh, four game sets in softball this year. Uh, and they start at home against Houston. Doubleheader Friday, and then a game Saturday and a game Sunday. RPI this year, Eric. We've made fun of the RPI all week, all you know, all all year, especially in volleyball because it's dumb and it's broken in volleyball this year. But it's not that broken in softball because UCF is at thirty three, Florida is at four, and Arizona, who UCF beat earlier this year, where are they? I don't even. They're okay. They're down. To, they went down to thirty one. But that win over Florida is big because they were 21-2 and two coming in. So what does this do for UCF in the RPI to what ex- and in, insofar as it matters this year? And then what will conference play look like for the Knights as they start up against Houston? Well, I think RPI is going to help them a lot, obviously. That's a huge win. Uh, top 10. I'm actually, I have sources who can give me live RPI numbers for softball, so I'm actually trying to get that. So if I don't softball get it by this... Softball just at it here, Murph. Here so we if go. I, so uh, if I don't get this, I'm hoping to get you that live number. for the, If I don't get it by this segment, I'll get it by the end of the show. But uh, but look, it's going to help it. No question about it. it it's significant uh, to have two top five wins. That's going to grab a lot of people's attention. For sure. I mean, and that was the game of the, it was the game, you know, the marquee game of the night in the country. And I'm going to say this for the millionth time. The <laughs> benefit of, of being on ESPN plus is significant. I'm telling you, 
you wouldn't believe some of the major players in the sport of college softball that were watching this game that were messaging me from coaches across the country to executives on television, uh, important people watching this game because this was the marquee game of the country in college softball. Um, you, you cannot buy the exposure that ESPN provides for you in these platforms. I, I mean, I'm sorry. I mean, criticize Mike Oresco all you want, but you made the right deal. So I'm just going to say that again uh, because it is significant. And I do think that you now for the American you mentioned, they're the number five strongest conference in college softball, according to the RPI. So uh, that's going to help them. But you're right. Houston's a, a, a rival. These two programs have gone back since 2006 when they were in Conference USA, and they paddled for championships. They had a great rivalry with Angel Shamblin and Allison Kime going at it. That's no different. They're a young team this year, Houston, but they've beaten Oklahoma State in the top 10. They've beaten Baylor, who's in the top 25. So, I mean, they're loaded. Uh, they're young, but they're definitely capable. And you're right. You make a great point. UCF is as dramatic of a win as this is. And even Coach Ball Malone said in the postgame, they kind of have a 60-minute window where they could celebrate and then they move on. So uh, they got to move on to Houston. It's a four-game series, as you mentioned. So it's hard to sweep a team with four games. Honestly, I don't think you could expect sweeps or many sweeps at all, if any, in conference play. Just it's too difficult uh, on that. So, by the way, live RPI here only on the Black and Gold Banneret exclusive here. UCF up to 28. That's it? Look, it's at, look, at, look at Eric Lopez just wielding his power in real time. <laughs> Thank you. Real time. Really a, that is a flex really a, if we've ever seen one, man. Now, wait a second, though. Win over the number four team in the country moves you up only five spots. It's early. Only a handful of games were played Wednesday. It, you got to give it time to digest. Kind of like when you have that great food, dinner, you know, it's not going to immediately make that great uh, impact. It, you got to wait a little while to kind of digest right. it, and then it'll kick in. Uh, By the way, I disagree with you. Uh, the, the, really, that's not, a, that's not the best metaphor. <laughs> maybe no, it wasn't. But I, I, usually, I usually feel worse after a, uh, after a big dinner than when I'm actually in the, in the time of eating it. Well, you might yeah, want to yeah, look yeah. into where you've been eating, but that's a whole other story. Uh, I disagree with you, but the RPI is it, the RPI is still drunk in softball. Maybe not as bad as it's volleyball. Still drunk. It's still drunk because it's got Villanova number eight in the RPI and your favorite school, Liberty, at number nine, um, among others. And it's got like Maryland, Baltimore County. Remember that school that beat UMBC? The yeah. Opening? yeah, they're in the yeah. top 25. That ain't lasting. All right. It ain't lasting. I'm looking at the one on the NCAA site, and they have Wichita State at 21st. UCF isn't even the top team in the RPI in the American. Well, I'm looking at the live RPI exclusively here on the banneret that I have access to, not anybody else. <laughs> All right? I'm the, ins I'm the he's, Woj he's of just, softball for a reason. He's, he's just he's treating this, he's treating this, this access and just flinging it over our heads. It's just I mean, great. He's treating it like the Pentagon Papers. <laughs> That's great. He's treating it like he's got an alligator by the tail and he's just swinging it around. Like, here, here's your RPI right here. <laughs> it's a good number, by the way, from a resume standpoint, 28. Uh, yeah, Wichita State's very good. By the way, Wichita State comes here. In April, that is going to be a showdown for the league. If you talk about it, if we preview the American Conference, since it is starting this weekend, UCF's the favorite, but I think Wichita State has just as much firepower offensively. 
that that could be your top two teams. Then you got South Florida with Georgina Corks, probably the best pitcher in the league. They're I think those are your two. Yeah. So those are your top three teams probably in the league. Houston's very young, but as I mentioned, they're capable of beating anybody. So, you know, it's going to be a battle in this league. And UCF, you're right. They got to take care of business in the league. Uh, this is a team that's hungry. And I think that, you know, I'm interested to see how they come out. Friday's a doubleheader <laughs> uh, because in a four-game series, you're going to have to have a doubleheader. It just so happens mm-hmm. Friday's this one for this one, 4 o'clock, 6.30. So uh, we'll see how they come out after this emotional win against Florida against the Houston team that's going to be gearing up for them. But, you know, it's uh, they're, they're in play here. They're in play. Uh, a dramatic night. Props to the football players that gave the support to the players. They were they 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 were aware of it, and even the people that were there that uh, you know fifty percent capacity people in the outfield, everybody wearing masks. I appreciated all that. Uh, just a great night overall. Great night overall. And uh, you know, uh, as I said on the broadcast, it's uh, it's great uh, great to be a night tonight here in Orlando. Uh, some of the folks out in the out in the outfield with the pickup trucks were getting peppered by fly balls that were getting hit. Where the actions coming, man? I know. That's the best seat in the house, to be honest with you. Um, all right. So you worked last night with Francesca Nea, who of course is a um, a great phenomenal analyst, by the way. Great analyst. You guys were great. Um, she said something interesting. She said she said she didn't want to say it during the telecast. uh, but you said it on your recap afterwards that she felt like UCF was just going to find a way to win. She did. She did. And, and she told me that before the game even started. So I got to yeah, get her props and, on that. And I think it's go. And I think it goes to their hitting. You know, that's that's how you do that. You find a way to win through hitting. And to score eight runs on that vaunted Florida pitching staff is um, is you know a real achievement. A real achievement that they've been able to do. And we're going And these two are not done. They're going to rematch again on the fifth on the fourteenth of April. Yeah. At UF, um, boy, are they going to be pissed when they when UCF? It'll be dramatic, but that's what this rivalry is about. Twenty six. By the way, eighteen runs in the last two wins against uh, South Carolina on the road. Let's not forget that because that's an important yeah. win too. Ten to four on Sunday to salvage a game, uh, and then eight runs here tonight. That's pretty impressive. Eighteen runs against two top twenty five teams from the Southeastern Conference, and you know so. Uh, and they still, as you mentioned, they still go to Florida. They still go to Ole Miss, so they're not done with the SEC. Uh, but they got to focus here in the American Conference play uh, here. But uh, what a night! It was a dramatic night. One of the, uh, an amazing sport. If if you watch that game, you have to be hooked on softball. You now understand why I've been hooked for it for 14 years. And in my opinion, and it's in a lot of people's opinion right now, it's the top four college sport in the in the in the country behind football, obviously men's basketball, and then Murph's favorite baseball. That's the top four most popular college sports mm. right now by any metric you want to look: the TV Eric- viewers, social media interaction. Like and like you said, that I think that game opened up a lot of eyes and yeah. people. Uh, again, it's so good that people get to see this on ESPN Plus and the way that UCF won that game, uh, the dramatic ending, the opponent. I think people are, are if they were not open, if they were not aware of UCF softball and the season they're having, they are now. So I'll ask you this: if they're just sort of coming on board with UCF softball after that win, and I do hate making a lot out of one victory, but I'm going to right now. Oh. Uh, they've beaten Florida. They've beaten number two Arizona, twenty and. When you look at this team right now, what is their end of season ceiling? What is the the high water mark for this team if, if things break right for them? Well, they could definitely win the conference championship. Uh, I think they're the preseason favorite. They're, they legitimately can win the conference championship. It's probably going to come down to that Wichita State series and the South Florida series, but they can definitely win the regular season title. 
tournaments, conference tournaments are always a crapshoot, but they could certainly win that. I think they're definitely an NCAA tournament team. Uh, I don't know if they can host. I don't think they can host. Unfortunately, we, you know, we've gone through this dog and uh, pony show before when it comes to the committee, they're probably going to be sent to Florida again or Florida state. If I had to bet, unless the, unless this team just went on a tear and, and really just made it almost impossible for them not to host, but I, the ceiling's high. And the thing is with this offense, you know, they, they're going to be a threat in the regional. They're not going to be a pushover. They have the pitching. The biggest thing is. You got Aaliyah White and Gianna Mancha. Can they get a third pitcher, whether it be Brianna Vasquez bouncing back or one of the freshmen, to get them some innings during conference play in a four-game series could be a key factor here uh, if they can win the league or maybe, you know, and be the difference between that and dropping a game that they shouldn't. But the ceiling's high. They can win the league. They can be an NCAA tournament team, and I expect them to be a top 25 team all year round. So, uh the, the 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 sky is the 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 ceiling. There is no ceiling right now. Who knows where how far they can go? That's kind of what's fun about it. All right. Well, they got to come back to earth real quick for that Houston doubleheader on Friday, four and six thirty. Then Saturday at three and Sunday at twelve. ESPN Plus for that. Uh, and Eric, you'll be on the call for all four. Is that right? That is correct. I'll be joined by Jamie Lowprice, former Texas A and M Aggie. Great. She'll be joining me as Francesca will be doing Florida LSU on SEC Network. So. Uh, she does. She does a great job as well. So a uh, big four game series. Uh, great to see Houston use it. By the way, first American conference game since 2019, as Jada Cody reminded me, she hadn't played in a conference series yet because we didn't play one last year. So uh, that'll be kind of cool to finally have some American conference softball uh, action starting this weekend in softball and hope and soon in baseball. Yep. Yep, that's right. So that's a perfect segue, Eric Lopez. Very well done by you, because we are going to talk about baseball who was uh, who? At, coincidentally, last night at the time, the game, both games were tied: UCF and Florida in softball, and UCF at Florida State in baseball. Uh, wild game again in Tallahassee that didn't go the way that UCF wanted. Uh, even though they were up, they, they went to extra innings. UCF got a run in the te- in the top of the tent to go up five to four, and then Brian Murphy. Weird crap started happening. I will let you describe it because if I tried to describe it, I'll just get it wrong. And you're really good at describing things. So what in the world happened? Well, that's not good. So I I wrote about this for this no site. No pressure or anything. <laughs> I I couldn't I couldn't help myself. I, I had to write about this because you know, you usually don't want to you know describe a loss, but this loss was special. Um so what happened was it certainly was special. Of, <laughs> special. Coming off of the 10th inning, David Litchfield coming off for his, uh, I believe, would have been his third inning of work. And he had pitched, you know, two really good innings. Uh, or he pitched, uh, he, he had pitched, yeah. And so he starts out by hitting the first batter, Ryan Romano, who actually, a quick, a quick aside, Ryan Romano for FSU is Nick Romano's brother, the, the infielder for UCS. So he hits him inside on, on, on the elbow. It, it was a, it was a you know kind of inside pitch. It was kind of just a fastball that ran in. Whatever. It wasn't like it was wild. It was just sort of fastball with too much movement. Then the next guy comes up, and the same thing happens. <laughs> Another fastball that runs in again and hits him on the arm. So great. Two on, nobody out. Love lady sticks with Litchfield, who then walks the next batter. That was the first walk of the game allowed by UC, and then he. Threw his next pitch to the next batter in the dirt. And so Lovelace said, that's it. That's enough. We can't go on with this any longer. So Litchfield gets it taken out of the game in a 1-0 count. And they, and he brings in 
and uh, they, they bring in Zach Hunsaker. And then and then it got really weird, as if two hit by pitches in a walk uh, to load the bases wasn't wasn't weird enough. It gets really weird now. It's on a one on one pitch, Zach Hunsaker induces a pop up from uh, I want to get this guy the guy's name right. Uh, it's uh, Nelson. I think it's Matt uh, Matt Matthew. Matthew Nelson. Nelson, thanks. And you can tell right away that on this pop-up, with lazy hype, that right away the first baseman, Nick Romano, cannot see it. Uh, Romano had just come into the game uh, not too long before this as a replacement, and the ball's popped, and he just can't see it. He, he, he's, he's got the, the, the helpless uh, look, you know, like he's, his arms are out to his side. He's looking around. The ball drops harmlessly about 15 feet behind him. And so now, but but while this is happening, while the ball's in mid, while the ball's in flight, the um, you can see the umpire at first base put put his arm up, raise his arm to, to the sky, yeah, point, to pointing up to the sky, fly. right? Uh-huh. Yeah, to signify an infield fly because there's fewer than two out and there's more than two men on base. There's bases loaded, nobody out. So under the that rule, the batter is automatically out, no matter if it, the ball is caught or not. The batter is out, and the runners are free to run at their own risk. Well, when the ball drops, the runners do run at their own risk. In fact, the man on third, Romano, decides to go for the plate. John Montez, the UCF second baseman, comes in from behind comes in from behind Nick Romano, throws home. The throw home to Ben McCabe is well in front of the runner. McCabe steps on home plate thinking he's got an out there at home. But he does because then he'll fly once the runners run, everything turns into a tag play. It's not a force play because the batter's already out. So right. because McCabe does not apply the tag at home plate, the runner slides in safely. So FSU has tied the game up on two by pitches, a walk, and an infield fly pop-up, an RBI pop-out, really. An RBI pop-out to first base uh, on an infield fly rule. Uh, the next batter is intentionally walked to reload the bases so they can set they'll, they'll play back in order. Uh, and there, there, there was a second out. The UCF got the second out with a ground ball to short. They got the force out at home, an actual force out at home to get the second out. But then Hunsaker walked the uh, next batter, Reese Albert, on five pitches. Uh, FSU wins, scoring two runs on two of my pitches three walks, and a ball that traveled about 100 feet and stayed in the air for about 10 yeah. seconds and wasn't caught. Yeah, the final line of the, of the bottom of the 10th was two runs on no hits and no errors. <laughs> great. <laughs> all right, great. All right, Brian, all right, Brian, you are a passionate baseball fan. You watch any part of You've watched Major League Baseball, Minor League Baseball, College Baseball, Japanese Baseball. Korean baseball, if, it, if it's got a bat and a ball, you're watching it. You're probably watching mm-hmm. it in a parking lot. Where, <laughs> where does that inning, have you ever seen an inning like that? Like, that, like is that the most bizarre finish ending you've ever seen in baseball? Uh, I mean, I, I wish I could, like, recall, like, I, had, I wish I had instant recall. But I, I, but I, I feel like it is, again, maybe it's knee-jerk, but I can't remember something, seeing something like that. It, in which, if you took everything into account, that it's, it, you're playing, if for UCF, you're playing on the road, it's a big, it would be a big win on the road against a ranked team, FSU, no less. Uh, by the way, FSU is the hottest team in college baseball coming into this game. 
they had won five consecutive games against Virginia and then top 10 Florida, top 10 Miami. The combined margin of victory in those five games was 58 to 11, crushing people. <laughs> Usually had held them at bay all, all game long, had taken a lead in the extra innings, and then to see how it all unraveled with a couple of fastballs that ran too far inside, just something you never see really ever, an infield fly RBI. You've never seen that. Uh, and then more walks and, and just, no, I cannot, I was stunned. <laughs> I was absolutely stunned last night. I'm still stunned because it's just, I, I love it. I do love it so much. It was, it sucked for UCF and it, it's painful for them and for, I'm sure for the fans, but like, I'm watching that and like I'm just in awe of just the number of ways the baseball can can just be so different on any given <laughs> night. It's so weird. It's so weird. My first tweet the reason why I actually watched the replay uh, before we recorded here in the dawn hours because I didn't go to sleep and I still can't believe it. And it happened many hours ago. I'm probably gonna watch the replay just to make sure it happened. Like and it's not a, no, a dream, you know, deal. What the heck? This, this team has been involved in now eight one-run games. Eight. They've only played twenty. They've only played twenty. They've been involved in eight one-run games. They're two and six in those games. And yes, I mean you can look at every ten point something where if they had gotten another hit here with runners in position, uh, they could have won this game. If they had made a better pitch here, if they had made one fewer error, the Ole Miss game, the middle game at Ole Miss, you know they're up by five, they're five three going bottom nine. They give up three runs on bottom of the ninth. That stings. Uh, that was a tough, one. but but nothing, nothing. I imagine uh, will stick in their crawl much like this game. I mean, maybe there's something down the road that we don't know about. Maybe maybe it happens this weekend at Troy. Oh, I don't know. Baseballs don't baseball tempt us like that. Don't that don't tempt the baseball gods like that, please, Murph. Thank you. I now mean, before the way that this unraveled, the way this unraveled in the most harmless of fashions, as I wrote, the the hardest contact. That FSU made in the two-run tenth inning probably came from the elbows of the guys who got hit by pitches. Oh, oh, oh. I mean, there was there was no firm contact made anywhere, uh, and just it was just wildness. Now, oh. now, let me Murph clarify this: the infield fly roll. Do you think they imp the, the the umpires implemented it correctly? So. By by rule, you have to the umpire has to make the judgment that there's a fielder underneath who is well positioned underneath the ball to make the catch. In that in that situation where Romano clearly doesn't see the ball, like you can you can tell right away he does not see it. You could make the argument that, that he is not in position to make that catch, and thus it shouldn't be an infield fly. But I understand the impulse from the umpire. You it's base loaded, nobody out. You see a lazy pop-up to first base. I mean, just to call into the fly, because who isn't going to be under that? Um, I mean, so you can actually go either way on this. I have no problem with the call. He also could have not made the call reasonably and said, well, the first baseman, the closest man to the ball, was not camped under in any way, shape, or form. So it's actually not an individual. Um, but in, in, in regardless, I want, I'd want. love to see this happen more often. I've always said this about Major League Baseball, and I'm sure it can happen in college baseball. I would love to see, like, it would, it would take a lot of planning and teams to be really smart on defense and a lot of, like, quick thinking. But, like, you, you can do this where you can, like, settle under a fly ball in an infield fly situation. There's more than two on, less than two out. And try to settle under it, and then all of a sudden, like, 
lose it and let it drop, but you can sort of like let it drop and understand that maybe you get another out out of it. Because obviously once the infield fly is called, the batter is out. So the ball dropping doesn't hurt you unless the runners start to run. And so why not see if the runners know the rules too? Because they don't have to run. You know, even if, it, even if it's first and second, they don't have to run if the ball hits the ground. And in this situation, I, I don't know if FSU understood that, you know, really I well don't think there's any way. I don't think they did. I don't think they would have done it on his own. No. And, and yet, and yet clearly UCF didn't either <laughs> because if they had understood the rule and seen that the first person, the first base umpire had called the infield fly in a situation, McCabe's got to know that that's a tag play. It's not the a problem. Is, uh, it, it, but you've just said it yourself. It's kind of really up to the umpire. And it, and, and it brings back to me some really weird memories. And I think some you'll Atlanta know Atlanta Braves fans are having. Like, yeah. That Braves Cardinals game, Murph, where they called the infield fly rule and the ball wasn't dropped in left field. Like, yeah. They called an infield fly rule on a ball that was not hit in the, to the yeah. infield. So I think people have always been kind of, since then, have always been kind of confused by the infield fly. I'm still confused by it. Uh, I, and I didn't know that you. You just Damn explained it. it that really it's up to the umpire. So for all we know, it just so happened. Like, like I really – I know this sounds cynical, but if that game is played in John Juliano Park, do they call the infield fly rule there? Sure, why not? I mean, it doesn't make any <laughs> difference what stadium is. Again, it doesn't matter what, where they're playing. It's about where the, where the fielder is in, in relation to the ball and where the ball is in relation to the infield. And this was clearly in the infield. It was – it was, you know, on the dirt, not even close to being on the grass. Craziest thing. Uh, I mean, this is one of the craziest Wednesdays of all time. And you see, I mean, the, I saw a softball shift, an infield fly roll. I mean, it's a uh, hit by pitch. I mean, this is insane. Let's try to move on here because we could spend hours <laughs> on this inning. Here's my question, Murph. How the hell are they going to get over this to play at Troy in the matter of in a matter of a day? Well, They're gonna have to find a way, one way or the other, because yeah, I mean, you know, that's my thing is like they, they hang on to win that game, right? It's they're ten and ten, right? And it's like there's a difference between being ten and ten to me and being nine and eleven heading heading into that, right? But anyway, they're going to Troy. I'm sorry, Murph, that 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 now this is a big road series for them, no? Absolutely. I mean, well, at this point, you're nine and eleven. Every game is a big game, and you know, because you you really need to make a crown now. I mean, you just you've had too many close losses, and you can't afford if you're you know if you if this team wants to have a chance, uh, you know, to build up some momentum before conference before conference play, uh, this is their last opportunity to do it because conference play starts next weekend at USF. Uh, I you know. It's I, I I am very curious to see how they get over this. Obviously, one of the one of the tenets of Greg Lovelady's coaching is that every game, the next game is the most important game. So every day is the most important game of the season. So he tries to reset every day to make sure that you know, kids can move on from the past game and realize that no, it's today's game that's most important. It's today's game that's most important. But just again, just like I feel like. That there was, there, you know, at least in the old Miss game, there were like a double, there was a home run. Yeah, there was a bad error in that old Miss loss, but like otherwise, it was really just like good hitters making firm contact and, and hitting pitches and, and just doing normal baseball things. Nothing about this was normal. I, this is just wild. And, and FSU had no business winning that game. Uh, and it just things unraveled. So I'll be interested to see that they move on against Troy. Um, not 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 a fan again. Not a fantastic team this year out of the 
the Sun Belt. Uh, they've won a, they've won their last two games, but one thing to watch for in this series is how UCF handles Logan Cerny, uh, a, uh, a power hitter who is who has gotten two home runs in each of the last two games for the Trojans. He has nine home runs this season. Uh, that's among the leaders in all of college baseball. He's 27 RBIs, also among the leaders there too. So uh, that's a big bat to watch for. UCF has to win two out of three. Uh, I imagine just to, just to build up some confidence heading into conference play. But again, I, uh, you're right. I will be very, very intrigued to see if there's any sort of carryover to this because you know we're all. I would I would have to imagine there's got to be some because that that one that one's got to sting more than anything else. God. Unbelievable, man. On a, on a positive note, Mike Rooney, who was the analyst for the game on ACC Network, basically said, hey, they're a regional team. He was impressed. So, you know, we got that going. You no, know, yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you what, like, Kenny Sirwa did a nice job against a, a really, really, really hot offense. You know, gave him a couple home runs, but otherwise he gave him five hits, five innings. And, and then... The bullpen before the tenth, which was Hunter Pattison, uh, McKay, and David Schultz, hitless innings. Hunter Pattison, you know, looked good again in a, in a one inning stint, uh, and, and then Litchfield was good, you know, until they were wild in the tenth. I thought, oh, you know, and Yusef's offense fought back from two runs twice. Um, I, I thought it was, good. I thought it really was a Yusef against you know, the hottest team in, in the sport. Um, but just like it, how it ended, man. Like I, I'll never forget that. That was amazing. Unbelievable. Uh, it's 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 see this is why i say baseball was a game that was invented by lawyers because only they can come up with exceptions to literally every rule in the book <laughs> well 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 let me here murph now you you kind of argued with me and jeff i you know that let's go back to that one run stat two and six you know yeah. jeff, you kind of said oh that's a fluke thing no you know don't yeah. read you know whatever but here's my counter to that that tells me that the ball ain't bouncing the way it, my concern is, could this just be one of those years where the ball's just not meant to be here? Like it's not going to bounce their way here. Cause I mean, I'll, after a loss like this, I question everything right now. <laughs> yeah. See, see, that's the sort of thing where I'd be like, I have no idea what that means. Cause that's not, that's <laughs> not analytical or a, that's like, that's totally subjective. There's no way to measure whether or not the ball's not bouncing in their direction. And I do think one run losses are normally fluky. Unfortunately, you know, you can have a full season worth of flukes where even bad teams can win like, you know, a ton of one-on-one games. It's just, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, 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 it's basically what do you do with a pitch here or there? It's, you know, when, when you're talking about one pitch in the game of a, hundred, a couple hundred pitches, you know, those things, those things can, can be fluky. So I don't think there's anything that we can take from two and six and say, well, there's, there's, there's this they're not doing correctly. Certainly, they're not hitting with runners in scoring position well enough, but that too in itself is fluky because clutch hitting is sort of overrated. And um, anyway, I don't want to. I'm getting too far deep in the weeds here. I think this team has a lot of talent. I think this team has a lot of talent. I think this team, this team's lineup when healthy is really good. They have a couple guys who need to come. They have one guy I think they need to get Nick Romano back on track, but their offense is really good. They have a couple of really nice pitchers right now and in, in Colton Gordon, AJ Jones, Kenny Sirwa is getting stretched out. And, um, I have issues obviously with the bullpen, the defense, uh, you know, the lack of contact at times. They strike out too much still. 
Um, but it's a good team. It's just that, yeah, they've come they've come on the short end of some games. Unfortunately, there's I, you know there's really nothing much else you can ascribe to it. It's just like they've been unlucky at times, and sometimes they've they put themselves in holes because of the lack of, of of you know hitting and with runners on base. But again, a pitch here or there changes things. So um, it's it's hard to overreact to 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 two and six. It's just like, well, they lost, and it's it's kind of unlucky. It is. Golly, golly. I do well, have. I'll end on a positive note. I've got the live Warren Nolan live RPI UCF baseball. Is, baseball moves up a spot to eighty three as a result of that game. All right. I'm well, your source for all live RPI numbers on the black and gold banner. All right. <laughs> we'll take it. <laughs> it's, it's, I'm fine with that. So anyway, and all right. Games, games. Oh, just got welcome back, games. sports. I mean, can we just <laughs> let's just have 300 baseball and softball games a year, Murph? Right? I mean, let's just. Why do we have to have an off? Let's just play every day. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, when we when we get back, uh, we have more heartbreak that we have to deal with. UCF women's basketball uh, losing in the first round of the NCAA tournament. We'll recap that uh, to Northwestern. Uh, and we'll also uh, take a look at what else is going on around the rest of the uh, world of UCF sports. We've got volleyball firing back up after a weekend off and lots more to talk about. Tennis also uh, when we return. It's the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Welcome back to the show. Jeff, Eric, and Brian with you here on this uh, Thursday morning. We're recording this uh, podcast, and we're still licking our wounds from uh, UCF women's basketball, seeing their season come to an abrupt end in the first round of the NCAA tournament against Northwestern. 62-51 was the final out in uh, San Antonio. It was, um, you know, it was it was heartbreaking because it, it just, there's a part of this, guys, that just makes me feel like this program is somehow just snake bit because six appearances in the NCAA tournament, no victories yet. They were right there with Northwestern throughout the entire first half. And I thought, okay, this is going to, this is going to come down to defense down the stretch. And this is what we came here for. I I like UCF in close games. This is what's going to happen. And then all of a sudden about midway through the fifth or midway through the uh, second quarter, Diamond Battles goes down with an apparent right leg injury. We can't speculate. We don't want to speculate. We don't know what it is. All we know is that it was horrifying. And, you know, at the time of the game, she had six points, two for four shooting. She was playing well. The defense was playing well. And the whole thing kind of just unraveled after that happened. And UCF ends up losing the game by 11, despite a, a valiant effort to try and get back into it. Um, late in the fourth, Northwestern's defense was just too good. Um, leading scorer was Lindsey Pulliam, 25 points. Uh, and she, and 
And she was great because Veronica Burton, frankly, wasn't for Northwestern. She was just one of seven. Um, so UCF did a good job of taking out the number one option for Northwestern, but couldn't take out the number two option. Um, uh, Courtney Shaw was uh, had a very good game for Northwestern as well, 12 points on five of nine shootings. She was plus 21 on the game. But, um, gosh, it's just... This one, this one just hurt. This hurt in more ways than one. Uh, Northwestern forced um, UCF into uh, way, way too many turnovers. Twenty turnovers, ten of them in the first quarter, uh, and uh, and got twenty-one points off of those uh, off of those twenty turnovers. So, um, Eric, I'll start with you. Uh, it's just, you know, it's it's so hard to see this happen to this team after the great season that they had. It's a what-if type of scenario, as I wrote about earlier this week on the blackandgobanneret.com. Cheap plug. Make sure you check it out. Uh, yeah, I mean, the injury to Diamond Battle, it looked bad. I mean, first of all, the most important thing, hopefully she's going to be okay and uh, recovers and they'll be fine. I think that's the bigger picture there. You know, as far as the game's concerned, I mean, Pulliam was the difference. And, well, let, don't take it from me. Listen to Coach Abe here on the postgame. Yeah, missing Diamond really hurt him, especially in that third quarter because – Nobody else stepped up. Yeah, I think, too, it, you know, Diamond actually calls all the plays. Diamond actually, you know, knows where to kick. Diamond actually, you know, gets in, gets in the paint and dumps. Um, so I think that's why Moss stepped up, you know, in the third and fourth quarter. She knew she had to for, you know, Diamond. So, um, you know, I just, I'm just going to keep saying it. It's just not, not an excuse, but – everybody's just so used to Diamond playing 40 minutes, just like they're so used to Moss being out there. And so, you know, obviously we got to use this as a learning experience. And when one leader goes down, somebody else is – there's got to be more than one step up. I mean, other people got to step up. Obviously, we Moss had playing experience in the NCAA tournament. So did Diamond. Those are the only two on our team that's ever played in the NCAA tournament. So – Hopefully now everybody will be back next year and we'll have this experience and we can really build on it. All right, that was Coach Abe from the post game, and obviously Masani Kaba, I should say, stepped up. I mean, she led the team in points, rebounds, and assists. Monster game for her. But the problem was nobody else stepped up when Diamond Battles got hurt, and that was kind of the story of UCF here at the end of the year in the conference championship game and here in that Nobody outside of Kaba and Diamond Battle stepped up in those two games, and they didn't get production out of uh, those. They struggled in that third quarter, going 3 of 15 from the field, scoring only seven points against a very good Northwestern defense, and they just didn't have enough offense at the end of the day. Um, and I think as you're looking forward to next season and beyond, that's something they need to improve on is have some players to step up and score. This was a game. This is where you missed a KK Wright type of player. And I think some of those players missed her too, because it's not that easy to take over games. Some of the great ones are the only ones that can do it. And I don't think the team had it in this roster this year, except for the occasional diamond battles taking over, but diamonds really shouldn't be that player for you. It should be others, but you know, diamonds, a great leader and they missed them. And, It'll be a what if because you're what if the American Conference doesn't award USF a re, you know forfeit? You could be regular season champions. What if you didn't have a bad second quarter in the conference championship game in Texas against USF? You could have won that. What if Diamond Battles doesn't go down? Maybe you would be playing Louisville. Maybe you get that elusive first ever win in the NCAA tournament for the program history. Uh, but 
it's an incredible season, 16 and five in a COVID year. I think we have to kind of look there. I know it's easy to go the what if route. The coaches, you heard them, the program, I think internally they feel that way. But 16 and five, you know, replacing the arguably the greatest player in program history in a COVID year to get to an NCAA tournament. To me, I still think it's a successful year. Yeah. Um, the, the, if you're Coach Abe and you're looking at how this team is structured heading into next season, and of course, you know, we have, you know, we don't know what's going to be, what's, what's going to become of Diamond at, the, at this point. We don't know what the extent of the injury is, but we know um, that you're most likely losing Masanikawa. Um, you do bring back players such as, um, as uh, Tay Sanders. Um, you're bringing back Brittany Smith. Um, you're going to get a, uh, an even better Destiny Thomas next year. Alicia Lewis is coming back. Um, when you when you look at this team, that how it's set up for next year, what are? Or, I, I have to correct myself. They're not going to have. Well, they might have Cortez Sanders back. She's listed as a senior, but we. But remember, well, this for is the basically record, a free year. We, we don't know. All the seniors could be back. We just don't. I mean, that's kind of the hard thing to predict nowadays with these rosters. You just don't know. Yeah, but when you look at who they have coming in, what's going to be the big priority? Is it going to be? Is it going to be developing the freshmen that are coming in? Because you know, like you've said before. They have a couple of really good freshmen who are expected to come in and contribute right away. Or do we try to extend the veterans one more year and try and really push this thing over the top? Both. I mean, the staff, they've been building towards this season that's coming up uh, with the the players that's coming back as well as the recruits that come in. They got a four-star guard coming in. They've got another player coming in that's played at USA Basketball. That those are two freshmen they think they can make an immediate impact, like big time. Uh, you know, the Jewel kid, the four-star, is, from what I've been told, is the best recruit in the Abe era. And, you know, they think she's better She's a better than KK. And and they think she'll be way ahead of KK, what KK was her first couple years. Now, whether that all happens or not, who knows. Uh, but you add those pieces to the returning players – they're going to be among the. They're going to be the favorites in the league alongside South Florida for the conference. I don't think there's any question. And then you hope that the players that all come back gain this experience that Coach uh, Abe talked about, having this experience, this taste there of playing in the NCAA tournament, of playing in the conference championship game, to grow from that and push that forward next year to maybe break that glass ceiling. Yeah. All right. Well, it's going to be. By the way, the two recruits we're talking about, Layla Jewett, who's from Woodbridge, Virginia. She's a five-nine guard. Uh, and then uh, Rachel Harjo, who's from Moore, Oklahoma. Uh, she's a six-three guard slash forward. She's officially officially listed at. So, um, yeah, I mean, they're gonna. Be, it's gonna be good. I, I just, I just, you know me. I always get worried when you're like, oh man, these freshmen are coming. They're gonna contribute right away. I'm like, eh, well, you know, freshmen are freshmen. You know, I mean, they're gonna kind of. You're you're gonna have some growing pains. I mean, look what happened with men's basketball, right, Murph? I mean, it's. You know, you're going to have, uh, you know, you're going to have those moments with, you know, guys like Jamil Reynolds and um, and uh, and Isaiah and, and you know, you're going to be like, wow, they're so good. And then you're and then there are going to be stretches where you're like, where'd they go? <laughs> like, it's it's so hard to count on freshmen, isn't it? Sure. I've, absolutely. Well, I think one of the bigger questions also is like, what is the status of Diamond Battles come next fall? Like. We know like she hyperextended her leg. You can see that uh, hyperextended her knee. You can see that on the clip. But we don't know exactly what her injury is, and I don't think we'll find out until what probably media day next year. 
Oh, we know if um, we if we if, find out at all. If yeah, if it, and if she's ready by that by that point, um, uh, that's a huge that's a huge you know what if if, if we're going to continue this in the next season. Um, yeah, but like like Eric said, and Eric, I know you've talked about this with us. Like you know, the the coaches have always thought that next year's team was going to be the yes. team really did a really did a lot of work. This year was kind of like a little ahead of schedule, right? Yes, yes. I think mm-hmm. they thought they could be pretty good this year, but again, you're losing KK Wright. You don't know, you know, that's good. That's tough to replace and things like that. They really were building towards next year because they knew the way the roster with the recruiting class coming in and, and all that. They felt that next year they really were excited about next year's team. But remember, they weren't even sure if you know Asia, you know Todd and, and, and Asia lose, you know, lose were even eligible this year. Yeah, uh, you know, and all that. And remember. The difference is in defense of Jameel Reynolds and Isaiah Adams, and Murph has brought this up many a times, those guys did not have a normal freshman year from the standpoint of with the protocols and COVID. All right. There was yeah, no they didn't, they didn't even get into the offseason program in right. the summer and the early fall that they would have. Right. And they still played well despite all that. Imagine if they would have had it. I think they would have been more consistent. And I think that's hopefully, knock on wood, that's I think where the women will be having with those two freshmen implementing. And here's the bottom line. Worst – I think Abe's earned the trust. I and I've said this. I think she is now the greatest women's basketball coach in the history of this program. Two NCAA's, two WNITs. Uh, she this. I think this was right up there with her first year here as among her best coaching jobs. Uh, I'm amazed they went 16 and five. To be honest with you, I think they overachieved. They want it now. They want it. They, they will disagree with that, but I think they overachieved, and uh, it's a credit to her. And her her style of coaching, I, I and and I think that's I I think she knows what she's doing, and they'll they'll figure it out. That that would be at my conclusion is whatever they they'll figure it out because they usually they usually they always do. All right, and before we wrap up this segment with them, I wanted to just you know on behalf of us to get well to Diamond Battles because she's been um, you know I mean we love her to death. I mean she's she's been you know such an amazing uh, figure for UCF basketball. She played in the shadow of KK for so long, and then finally this year you know, kind of came to light in her own way. And, and I mean, it was, I mean, you hate seeing anybody get hurt. I mean, obviously, obviously, but especially her. And so uh, Diamond, if you're listening, um, get well soon. We're thinking of you and uh, we're hoping we can see you back out there on that basketball court as soon as humanly possible. Cause we know that's where you want to be. So, all right, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we got to talk about soccer. We got to talk about volleyball. We got a lot to talk about still here on the black and gold banneret podcast. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you here. Let's uh, let's go about uh, fixing or taking care of all the sports that are really coming down the stretch here at uh, at UCF. And I'm going to start, gentlemen, with UCF Volleyball. They had the week off, and now they're, by the way, they're receiving votes in the ABCA Top 25. They were, they're the equivalent of 29th. Um, and right now, this team is hot. They're 12 and 1. Had a little bit of a rest here after that, after bombing Cincinnati a couple weeks ago. They finished the regular season this weekend against South Florida, Friday at 7, Saturday at 7. Um, this is a big spot, I think, for uh, UCF because I think they want to finish the regular season. That They get to 14-1 and one in the regular season here, Eric Lopez. They head into the four-team conference tournament next week. It's going to be held at Cincinnati. And let me update you as well on the – Standings, which I think we need, because remember it's east, it's east and west. Two teams from the east, two teams from the west. Right now, it looks like it's 
the one seeds in the in have both been wrapped up. UCF um, is the one in the East. Houston is the one in the West. In the East, Cincinnati right now is the top is the is the number two, but they're only one match ahead of South Florida. So if USF can somehow pull uh, or, or, or excuse me, if uh, if Cincinnati can fall back down. Um, there might be a shot for USF here. So they've got yeah, something Yeah, it's kind of a long shot, though, because Cincinnati owns the tiebreaker. They beat them head-to-head. That's true. So uh, that would so put them really two games have to lose yeah. twice, really. Yeah, we don't want that. <laughs> well, I mean, well, what I mean is that well, means whatever. USF would have to win twice, and we definitely don't want that. Yeah. Um, in, in the West, I think it's kind of interesting because you have Tulane, who UCF swept earlier this year in a non-conference uh, in, in a non-conference set. All right. They're five and three. SMU is right behind them at four and four. So SMU could possibly catch Tulane this weekend. Um, uh, let's see here. What do you have? Uh, Tulane is playing Tulsa. Uh, and by the way, the, uh, SMU, the SMU and Tulane split in the, uh, or earlier, uh, this season. Uh, SMU, is playing. Uh, they're actually done with their conference uh, season right now. They're playing Texas Tech, uh, or excuse me, no, they finished. No, I beg your pardon. They actually lost to Texas Tech both times in five this past weekend. So they actually have that weekend off. So Tulsa has a chance to wrap it up um, and get that second seed. And so UCF would play as the one seed in the East, the number two in the West, which would basically be a rematch with Tulane who, um, again, they played earlier this year. So I think this is kind of breaking really nice for UCF here. So the question is, Eric, if we throw out the RPI, which we all should, because, again, who's who's the number one in the RPI this week? It's still Fairfield, followed by Sacred Heart. That's right. Isn't that what you love, Jeffrey, there? See, the numbers don't lie. No, no, no. It's very non-biased. not what I said. That's not what I said. You keep putting words in my mouth, Eric Lopez. Stop doing that. It's you don't have enough data for the RPI to to make any sense of the whole situation. Texas, UNLV, Florida State, Towson. All right. Uh, Bowling Green. And then UCF's at eighth, by the way. I would like to I'd like to let you know. Yeah. Um, Which, hey, I'll take it. Um, But. Man, if you're the committee, like, where do you slot this team? Even if they win the American, where are they? They're probably going to play Florida State with the winner to play Florida and Omaha. That's See, probably what's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, why, why, why break old habits? I mean, no, I mean, <laughs> we'll see what happens. I mean, because you reported See, last here's week. Here's the thing. They're all, go, they're all going out to Omaha for the tournament. All right. So they don't necessarily have to slot them in with all the other Florida teams as they would in any normal year, right? Yeah, but why break old habits? You know what I mean? I mean oh, come on. Uh, no, look, I mean, we'll see. Um, it's a valid question. I'm kind of curious. We do need to probably look into, like, what the format will look like. Because remember, they're down to 48. Yeah. So that would suggest to me, this is the interesting thing. So what is, like, is the top 16 going to get a buy? Yes, top 16 teams get a buy. That's how the hell are you going to figure out the top 16? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> committee, oh, that's I, oh, for. You and your You and your, and your humans who are <laughs> so right. infallible. You know, is a, oh, you're, I'm going to smile on this one. Uh, I'm going to smile. What are, they on gonna do? what are they going to do? All right. Let's take the entire pack 12 and slot them one through 12 and then take the top four from the big 10 and slot them 
yeah. uh, and slot them accordingly. Congratulations. We finished our top 16. Give me a break. I mean, that's normally what happens anyway. I mean, they use the RPI for that anyway. So in a normal year. So, you know, it is what it is. I, the bigger question is going to be, can the American get two bids? And the sec- the only other team that I think has a shot is Houston, who had a heartbreaking loss to Baylor. Boy, uh, they played well in that Baylor match. Too. Great match. By the way, Baylor has like a bunch of eight-footers. That's insane. Um, <laughs> I watched that match, and I'm like – Baylor's enormous. It's like, what is going on now? Like, like, you laugh. I mean, you can take shots at the Pac-12 bit, all that, but then we'll see them you know, and the, across the net. We're like, oh, boy, there's a bunch of trees there. Yeah. Um, so, But I thought Houston was very impressive. If I'm the American – you want Houston and UCF to roll over and play in the championship game. You kind of wish you didn't do it. Honestly, if See, this I is mean, what Todd talks about, he's like, why are we having a tournament? Well, and the other thing I would have said is why are we having four teams? Like it's clear who the two best teams are. Just have the division champs in each division play each other. That's it. Like just cancel the flights that sits in, you know, just cancel the other two teams. Like we don't need them because really it's not going to help you. It doesn't help you. Because the last thing you need is one of them to get knocked off in the semifinals. Now you can miss the whole tournament. Um, so I think the team, the league has a shot at two bids. The other question we have to figure out, maybe we'll get the answer after this weekend, is who's gonna who's gonna be the who's gonna get to host the conference championship this fall, right? Because are yeah. they gonna stick with that rule about whoever wins the regular season hosts the following season's conference tournament? Uh, or are they just going to award it to whoever wins the tournament? I think that's important because if you're UCF, if you can get that honor for this fall with the returning players coming back, yeah. I that's significant, Jeffrey, with McKenna Melville and company. Not to get too far ahead, but that, I do think that is important. I wish they would just do what soccer does, which whoever wins the regular season that particular year just gets to host, but whatever. Well, I, I think the reason why they do that is like, you know that can, you might not know you're hosting until literally two days before you're hosting. Yeah, and and in soccer, I mean that might be a little bit easier to do in soccer and volleyball. It's a little bit why because what? because why? It's a, because it's an indoor facility and it's a little it's going to be a little bit different and the tournament could be a little bit larger too. So, I, I I'm not saying I disagree with you. I'm saying that's probably their rationale. Soccer figured it out, and soccer in some cases have bigger rosters. They, they do have bigger rosters. Yes, you're right. You're so. Right. But, I, you know, like I said, I'm not saying I agree. I'm not saying I disagree with your rationale. I'm we should be having this rationale. tournament right here, right now, Jeffrey. That's what I'm upset about. I agree. I agree. I, we should host Merv it in Orlando every right year. Orlando, doesn't everyone want to come to Orlando? I mean, Merv should be getting ready to cover the volleyball tournament and, and catching up with Todd and, and, you know, and, you know, running into you, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. It'll be Jeff. Yeah. You know, all, listen, all I know is that this team has a chance to do I, – I think they have a chance to go not just to win the conference yet. I think that I think that Todd's licking his chops right now because he, he thinks that – Well, I, I, I agree. That, I, I, I do agree could, with has, you. could make a run in the NCAA. I do agree with you on this. If this tournament is an all in Omaha, this might be their best – I'll use the pun here – best swing to get to the Sweet 16 and beyond. Yeah. Uh, that's the one, you know, that's, you know, when you look at McKenna Melville and that particular senior class, can they join Tyra Harper's class as, you know, getting to that sweet 16? There's two UCF teams in the history of division, in the division one era that has done it. The 97 UCF team led by Tyra Harper, 
the Hall of Famer and uh, Renata Menchikova, the one-two punch. Mm-hmm. And then the 2003 UCF team with Jenny Frank, the Hall of Famer, they're all, uh, they made it to the Sweet 16. Well, no, they, they didn't make it to the Sweet 16. Oh, the second round. I'm sorry. The second round, right. That's right. They got to the second round. Both teams got to the second round. Uh, you're right. They, so the last year's UCF team, can this team be that first team to get to the Sweet 16? That's what I meant. I, yeah. I, I, I haven't slept. Well, right. I'm sorry. Well, I haven't slept. It's, it, don't you have the Cuban coffee laying around there? What's, what, come on. Yeah, I do, and that's part of the problem. Hit it up. Hit it up. You uh, pour yourself another cup. Well, remember, McKenna, Catherine Westlich, um, they're all junior. Amory Watson's listed as a senior, but yeah. she could. But remember, free year they could come back. We don't know. Right, if no, home. that's why I keep bringing up the home hosting the tournament. And if this team can get to the Sweet Sixteen, that increases McKenna Melville now into the conversation and the art of perhaps being the greatest volleyball player in the program history, right with Tyra Harper and Renata Menchikova. If they get yeah. to the Sweet Sixteen, and that that's a significance. So you're right. I do agree with you. This might be their best shot because it's in a neutral court. Whereas, you know, let's be honest, in the fall, next fall or next year, yeah. you might be going to Florida. So that's a valid point. Might be going to the O Dome again. Golly. All right. So they're playing South Florida once again uh, on uh, Friday at seven, and then Saturday at uh, and then Saturday at seven o'clock again. Both those matches at the venue, and they will both be on ESPN. Plus AAC. Probably shout out to Sean Asher, who's the SID for softball and volleyball. Could be staring at two at two postseason teams. But and, and has been and has been killing it for both of them, given how good that both of those teams have been this uh this this spring. I mean, honestly, you know, could to be, be right. on top of it. Uh, he's the front runner right now for the UCF SID of the Year award right now. He's. He's 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 the real MVP, right? Well, I mean, I I don't want to take away from the others because they've all Jesus been real MVPs. Christ. I feel like we're yeah. Now we're we're kind of backhanding. Uh, we're kind of slapping the other. That's I no no. I don't want. That's why I'm like no. Stop that. Listen, they have a hard enough job as it is this the spring man. It's it's just it's just wild. I'm sure I'm sure that everyone was breathing a sigh of relief when basketball was like wow. Okay, we're through basketball now. We've got. You know, now we've got volleyball that we're that we're still working on, and then soccer that we're still working on. Speaking of which, let's talk about soccer. Uh, men's soccer. Uh oh, Eric and Brian. I think they figured it out. <laughs> They've won three in a row. They threw four goals at Temple last Saturday at home. Uh, they are right now. They've they've outscored their opponents eight to one the last three matches, and they got a big game in Tampa on Saturday at 7 against South Florida, trying to avenge that one-goal loss at home uh, that they suffered earlier in the year. They've got South Florida on the road, SMU once again at home on Friday, April the 2nd. That's going to be huge. And then they finish this the regular season at Memphis Friday, April 9th. Uh, Eric, have they figured it out? Well, if you listen to Scott Calabrese following the 4 nothing win over Temple, he tends to believe that yes we have figured it out yeah it's it's really nice to see um just you 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 can tell that the players are in sync they're they're cohesive and the they they move together um you can see they anticipate each other's uh, ideas and movements and uh decisions um and so it's it's really, really great to see. And then, you know, you're always wanting players to be rewarded for all their work uh, because it just reinforces that 
we're on the right path. And uh, so to have a performance like this where, you know, we score four goals, you know, we create even more chances to, to score, um, quality chances from multiple, uh, multiple sources, it's, it's really nice. Um, great to see Hata, too, and his growth um, this year. Now a real threat around goal for assists and for goals. So it's, it's great. We're, we're moving in the right direction, clearly. Scott Calabrese's team is at four and three, and it's good that they're getting hot at the right time here. But, man, they needed the goal scoring to kick it, and they finally did. First game all season that here's, – here's how they've scored so far uh, this season, guys. Ready? Zero, one, 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 two, two, four. Mm. Now, I don't need to bust out the line graph to tell you that things are improving on the scoring side, isn't it? They look like the old Knights, yeah. I mean, it was great yeah. to see the offense firepower there. Uh, hot, hottie Barry, two goals. It's turned into maybe the answer that they've been looking for. Somebody who could finish, you know, and put the ball in the net from the forward position. Uh, he has stepped up. Him and Gino Vivi have great chemistry. Mm-hmm. So it's a huge win, and they're back in this mix. I mean, this league is wild right now. You got, I mean, Tulsa, SMU, South Florida, UCF. They all can win this league. They all, I mean, this league is just very bunched up. And you're right. It, you, but in a way, UCF controls it. They go to USF. They host SMU. They can win those and beat Memphis. They win the league remarkably. Yeah. Uh, but they got to take uh, one step at a time, and this will be a big one at USF. Well, here, here's the standings, right? And remember, they do the point system, right? So Tulsa's leading with 13 points. They're 4-1-1. One, and one. You got three-way tie for second between SMU, UCF, and USF uh, at 12 points each. And uh, SMU, by the way, 4-2, and two, UCF 4-3, and three, USF 4-3. and three. And, of course, like we mentioned, uh, UCF and USF are facing each other this weekend in Tampa. So Temple at seven points, Memphis at three, kind of bringing up the rear there. Um, and we talked about how, you know, how much more wide open is it now that, you know, obviously UConn has left the league. Unfortunately, Cincinnati ended men's soccer, so it's down to a six-team league. And four of them are right there in the in, in the shake of things. So this is going to be a fun little stretch run here. Um, let's talk about women's soccer here real quick because uh, they are right now kind of kind of struggling a little bit. They are winless in their last four with two matches to go. Both of them are at home, Eric, but they're, they're, I think they're at the point right now they got to win the conference tournament in order to get into the NCAAs. Is that right? Oh, yeah, there's no doubt. I and mean, they got to get some momentum going into it. Yeah. Uh, that's the thing that's frustrating, you know, for Coach. You know, they played a pretty good match against South Florida. Gave up an, a goal in the first half, down 1-0. They tied it up 1-1. And then, you know, they got a call against them in the box where USF gets a penalty kick. Uh, or uh, Well, you were fired up about that one on Twitter. Well, it was a terrible call. The girl play, fell down for USF. And the UCF player didn't – it's not like a tackled her. She was going for the ball. And she fell down in, in soccer nowadays. If you fall down, oh, you get, you know, and as long as you can, you know, act like, you know, you've been shot, then you'll get a call from the, the, the soccer officials because they're dumb. They don't know any better. So, um, unfortunately, this goes, canceled. this goes against UCF and they just got to build momentum in those last two matches going into the conference tournament because you're right, because they're either going to have to beat uh, play at Memphis or they're going to have to play at South Florida because those are clearly going to be the top two teams. They're both in the top 25, and right now they probably would represent the American in a, as a two-bid league with those two. So you're right. UCF would have to crash the party and win the tournament 
and uh, sneak in that way. Well, the good news is for UCF right now, their last two games are at home, including Sunday at noon against SMU. Then uh, they have a week off and then April 11th, Sunday against Houston at home. SMU is third to last in the league. Houston is second to last in the league. So you can at least get above 500 before the conference tournament uh, and then take your chances, right? Roll the dice and see what happens. But right now they're in fourth behind ECU, who's third. USF, like you mentioned, is in second. And Memphis, who is uh, leading the way in first. Memphis having a really good year, 6-1. And, 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 and USF undefeated, 5-0-1 on the season. UCF came that close to handing them uh, you know, to handing them a tie at least, but um, remember the conference championship Thursday, April fifteenth through Saturday, April seventeenth. And that's a four team, uh, and that's a four team setup: semifinals and finals. So right now, UCF is hanging on uh, to that number four slot, one point ahead of Cincinnati with those two games left to go. So I can't believe we're about to say this right now. They got, I mean, these two games against SMU and Houston, they're critical to try and put yourself with a little distance between you and Cincinnati. Um, and, and to lock up that number four slot. So, I don't know. We'll see. All right. Tennis. Boys, I know you've been excited to talk about tennis. Every, this is like the highlight of the show all the time because the men and the women are right now, again, on a roll. Talk about the women first. They have won three in a row. They beat uh, – they're still now they're getting back into action against SMU on Sunday at noon, and that's at home at the USTA National Campus uh, and I want to pull up the ITAs, Eric, because I know, and, and Brian, because I know how much you guys love those. Um, but we have some individual, we have some individual rankings that we got to talk about too, right? So uh, on the women's side, UCF right now is 18th, uh, and they are. Uh, and I want to pull up see if do we have any? Uh, yeah, we got a couple of teams from uh, or a couple of people from singles who are ranked. Uh, Valeria Zaleva is 25th in the country. Rebecca Stolmar's 33rd. This is shaping up to be really interesting. And, you know, uh, and, and by the way, Evgenia Levashova, let's not forget about her. She's at, she's 93. So she's top 100, three top 100 players in singles. Um, this is feeling, I, I, I still maintain, I still maintain that, uh, that this is the, this team has as good a shot to win a national title as anybody. And in doubles, by the way, uh, your favorite team, Eric, Rebecca Stolmar and Marie Mattel, they're 32nd in doubles. So what do they have left right now? What do you want to see them do against uh, against SMU and before they travel out to Oklahoma for that big pair? Keep rolling. Going in there. Just keep it doing. If it, yeah. if it ain't broke, you don't, you don't, no need to fix it. So just don't fix rolling. it. Are we thinking national seed this year? I hope so. Uh, they may have to win some road matches there, but yeah, I would hope so. That's why I keep waiting to see where the rankings end up. But yeah, I think that's very plausible for sure. Okay. So uh, now let's take a look. At, I want to bring up the uh, men as well here because they're at nine and three. Most recently on Wednesday, they a big win for them, six to one over Arkansas. They bounced back after the loss at Georgia, which was it was a four to two loss, but it was tighter than it looked, right? And that's the number seventeen team in the country. This is a tough stretch because, like, five straight ranked opponents, 17 Georgia, 31 Arkansas, 48 SMU, 24 Oklahoma, 18 Oklahoma State, four of those five on the road. Friday they go to the SMU, uh, followed by Saturday at Oklahoma, Sunday at Oklahoma State. So this is the big show-me weekend for the men off that 6-1 win against Arkansas. Um, 
and then they, and then by oh by the way they got Wake Forest right after that. So um, this is now this is the big spot for them, don't you think too? Well, yeah. Let's start. I mean, they beat Arkansas six one. I mean, that's a good win. I mean, that's yeah. a big quality win there. So that's the stretch for them. They're moving forward. But let me give a shout out to Gabe DeCamps, who keeps beating ranked guys over and over again. And I've said this. I think Gabe DeCamps is going on his way to being the greatest UCF men's tennis player of all time. I really do think he's going to play professionally. He's going to make a living. Murph, we may have to go to Wimbledon or a U.S. Open down the road to see him to cover a UCF tennis player. Huh? Made it happen. No, that is that – is, that would be something. Can I, can I get the expense flight kind of kind of thing? <laughs> Do you have a preference which major? Like, if you had to pick. I'll, we, I'll, send, I'll, send, I'll, I'll send it up the chain. We'll see what we can do. Oh, yeah, yeah, thanks. Yeah. If you had to pick, Murph, if you had to pick one of the four majors, I could tell you, hey, Gabe DeCamps is going to play in all four majors. You get to pick one of them to cover it. Which major would you pick? Would you pick the Australian Open in, in January, February range? Would you pick the French Open in May? Would you pick Wimbledon in July or the U.S. Open in August, September? Well, I mean, if we're talking about tennis, it's Wimbledon. But if we're talking about where I want to go, I want to go to the French Open because I want to go to Paris more than anything else. Uh, but I don't know. Again, I don't know how Gabe plays on clay. Uh, and so let's we'll just, we'll just play it safe and go, look, it's Wimbledon. <laughs> it's the granddaddy, really. Just go there. It's fine. I, I would like to see him on the U.S. Open. I, you know, hardcore, right? Chance to it, see him win. Play on court. I know. College is – the hard courts, I get it. No, there's nothing – there's nothing aesthetically pleasing about hard courts. Just play on the ground. Wow! Whoa! Oh God, Murph is anti-hard court. It's whatever. Um, I, I should mention that Gabe DeCamps right now is ranked fourth in the country in singles. Fourth, all right? Behind only Hadi Habib of Texas A&M, Duarte Valle of Florida, and Daniel Rodriguez of USC. Um... In addition to that, is, is that? Okay, no, never mind. Um, and then in addition to that, doubles, he and Trey Hildebrand are 21st in the country. I was ranked UCF players on that end. So um, this is this is turning into a really special year. And he's been, he's been towing the line for UCF. It's really been a lot of fun to watch him play. Um, Put it and- this way. Put it this way. When I revive my UCF 250 series, which we may call it something else, I don't oh, know he's this in summer. There. Not only is he going to be in there, but he might be the highest-ranked Gabe of all UCF male athletes. Mm. I love it. Mm. All right. So, as we wrap it up here uh, on the Black and Gold Banner podcast, real quick free agency news out of the NFL. Okay, Murph? Matt Prater is coming back. Didn't we we talked about Matt last week, did we not? Wait, we mentioned it, but I want to I want to dive into it a little bit more because he's in Arizona. Yes. And are are we are we are we going to see that Matt Prater is very quietly, okay, very quietly racking up NFL records don't like crazy. Don't even don't even bring it up. Don't, don't even don't with do Ky, this. with Kyler Murray as the quarterback out there. Okay. Could we see? Could we see him like? become the NFL's all-time leader in extra points. I'm fully expecting this oh. to happen. What? I mean, I don't know. Okay. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> you take that one. Murph. I, as a person who has made uh, most of my living in my professional life as a fantasy sports writer, have come to despise kickers at every turn. <laughs> because in, in, in the soup that I swim in, in the circles that I, that I, that I revolve in, 
they are the absolute worst. They're a nuisance. So it's hard for me to say that, like, yes, he's going to come in and kick out all these extra points. Because, like, I, it, it, kickers are so dependent on everything around them more than just their actual innate skill. Uh, so it's, you know, is he going to kick a ton of extra points? I don't know. Is that offense going to be more efficient this year? Maybe. Uh, this is a long-winded <laughs> way of me saying, Jeff, I hate your question. I will not acknowledge it or address it. Uh, and so we move forward. But I, I look. As I said last week, when we talked about it then, uh, Matt Prater has a really interesting way of picking places to play that are very favorable to kickers. Yeah. Well, <laughs> hey. Mile high. Yeah, he's played mile high. He's played indoors in Detroit. And now, uh, you know, indoors or outdoors in Arizona. Before, at a really, was, I mean, people, before he was in Denver, he was in Atlanta briefly, right? They play in a dome, too. <laughs> was he in Atlanta? I don't, yeah. Yeah, I don't I remember had a cup of coffee don't in Atlanta before he, went to, before he went to Denver. Okay, but uh, now in, in Arizona, you can get you know the, another controlled uh, another controlled environment, or you know, or and I've heard that people really like kicking on that grass. That that that's a really good kicking grass environment. So, um, yeah, what a kicking. show for you! What a show for you, Murph! You're breaking down the infield fly rule and then kicking in the grass, and I mean, it's just this is like top notch material from you tonight. Wow, it's really yeah, my shining moments. <laughs> I should I should I should clarify for the record that Matt Prater is currently 31st all time in the NFL in extra points made with 491. The record holder, George Blanda. Yeah, I mean, 943 extra points. Yeah, he played like he was 80 years old. Yeah, he, yeah, he was. He, I think they, I think they wheeled him right from the Oakland Coliseum right to the mausoleum. But anyway, well, Matthew Prater already has what? He has a record for, I believe, he still has the NFL record for longest field goal. Correct? Still does. Yards. Correct. 64 yards. Yeah. He has a long. He has the record for most 50 yard field goals made. I don't that know. To is, that to me is the most impressive one. Right. Yeah. Uh, that that uh, if I'm an NFL kicker, that's that's kind of the record I want. It's kind of like like how I've always said, if I was an actor, I'd want to win a Screen Actors Guild Award. Uh, look, no matter how his career ends up here, uh, it's been a, just a phenomenal career uh, uh, for a lot of guy, for a lot of people that you know for 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 a guy that UCF fans I, I think uh, maybe disliked on his way out the door for for how everything ended, but uh, he's been he's been a fantastic. He's been Generally a fantastic kicker for God, 15 years now. Yeah, long time. By the one way, yeah, I did I did see that he was uh one for four in Atlanta. No wonder I misremembered that. Matt probably mis- misremembers that. Um uh there was one additional signing from last week. Brashad Perriman is going to the Detroit Lions. Oh boy. Uh, the uh the franchise for which his dad played for quite some time. Yeah. Uh his dad, Brett Perriman. Um, Brashad, uh, has right now his, uh, by the way, we have an NFL move roster tracker courtesy of Savage Luke Saris up there on black and gold banner right now. Um, one year, $3 million. It's a real, uh, prove it contract for Brashad, uh, who has 16 career touch, uh, or, or, uh, or excuse me, uh, in, um, uh, through six seasons in the NFL, he's got 14 touchdowns and 2000 yards. This is a spot for him where he's uh, he's really going to have to develop some chemistry with uh, a, the new quarterback there, Jared Goff, too, and quick, right, Murph? Well, yeah, and it's a team that needs wide receivers right now. They don't have either you know Marvin Jones or Kenny Galladay. Thank Kenny Galladay, much to, much to our p- 
pleasure coming to the New York Giants, right? Oh, baby. Oh, I'm so excited. Anyway, yes, they need receivers in Detroit. Probably going to have a priority of drafting a wide receiver in the draft. Uh, you know, we know what Rashad does. He's a he's a field stretcher. It's not exactly the greatest match uh, when you're when your quarterback is Jared Goff, who is showing a lot of hesitancy to throw it deep, is more reliant on uh, a lot of underneath stuff. So it'll be interesting to see how that how that combination works. It would have been a lot better if his quarterback was Matt, Matthew Stafford, but it is what it is. Um, it's you know, hey, at least he continues to play in the NFL, which is something that you know, two three years ago. It looked like his career was just about on the end. He sort of, you know, came alive again in that short game with Winston in Tampa Bay uh, and got himself a deal with the Jets, the Lions. Uh, you know, it, I think his, his – if you told me – if you told me three years ago that he would still be an NFL receiver in 2021, I would have said you're probably – that's not true. But he's, he's done a pretty good job of, of, of extending his career. You know what's good? He's no longer a New York Jet. Like that alone is. I I I, I don't know. I mean, we'll see what they do with the quarterback position there. But like, I kind of like the Jets, and I like what they're doing. Kind of building offensive, you know, an offensive roster right now. But whatever. I mean, it's the Jets. We're gonna hate on them. People are gonna jokes because it's easy. But I kind of I don't I don't mind what they're doing. Whatever. Watch yourself there. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Giants. I know. As a Giants fan, I still don't want to hate the Jets. (laughs) <laughs> Again, Kenny Galladay, man, so sick. Oh my God! Oh, Kenny Galladay, so sweet. It's gonna be great. Now we need oh. Daniel Jones to figure it out. All right, let's wrap this thing up uh, here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Always follow us at UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter. Follow us individually, Jeff underscore Sharon, Eric Lopez, Elo, Spokes underscore Murphy, and of course you can follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. If uh, you like what you're hearing for the first time, subscribe to us. We are available on uh, Apple and Android, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Just search for Black and Gold Banneret. If you already subscribe to us, tell a friend, please. We're looking to increase our audience, as usual. You know, I mean, we have to do that. That's a podcast thing, right? Um, And uh, leave us a comment and a rating. We appreciate it, as always. However you can can rate us, make sure you do so. Wow, what a weekend, man. We got another, and we're only just getting started. Another weekend coming up. We got, guys, next weekend, we got Pro Day on April the 1st. We're going to start talking about NFL draft stuff. It's going to start getting crazy. And don't forget, you know, if, you, if, if, you got, if, you, if you're looking for something to do on Saturday, try to come out to the Bounce House. UCF will be holding another public practice, as they did last Saturday. UCF will be holding another public practice, their second of the spring, uh, this Saturday. I believe it starts at 10 o'clock. Um, so, uh, see if you can get in there. They will be doing more contact drills, uh, some live tackling this time around, which is more than they did last week when we saw them. So, and then we'll get to talk to Gus, we'll talk to Gus Malzahn again after the practice and, uh, see if we can, uh, mine any nuggets of gold there as he slowly implements his systems offensively and defensively. And the spring game, April the 10th at noon. And we'll be there for that, uh, as well. All right. So for Eric Lopez and Brian Murphy, I'm Jeff Sharon saying thank you so much for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banner Podcast. We will catch you next week. <laughs>